0: Welcome to PR for Humans, the show for the best communicators in the business, with me, Mike Sargent. And today we are in the heart of the West End, which is a great location uh, to talk about performance, because I'm here with Robin Kermode, who is um, well, he an actor, he's one of Europe's leading communications coaches, and he's a, a media commentator and author of, of an excellent book that I can highly recommend, Speak, So Your Audience Will Listen. Robin, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to have me. Thank you. And... Um, if you had to distill the essence of what you do,
1: how you help people, what would that be? I would say people have to feel comfortable in their own skin. So the the starting point is that if the speaker or the communicator and this is this is the true whether you're talking one to one or whether you're talking uh, at a boardroom or whether you're on a platform or on the media it doesn't really matter it's the same thing. It's are you coming across as uh, trustworthy, authentic and natural? And that basically starts with you being comfortable in your own skin.
0: Yeah. And would you say that most people that you work with, when you walk into the room for the first time, are comfortable in their own skin or well, know what their own skin even is? It's interesting. <laughs> I was
1: about to coach the CEO of one of the top UK supermarkets, so the four big supermarkets in the UK, this is one of them, and uh, they have 2,500 stores, and so the, the guy's very busy. The head of HR rang me out beforehand and said, we need to have a pre-meeting, Robin. And I said, OK, um, what do you need a pre-meeting for? And she said, well, you know, you've got to decide what you're going to do with this guy. I said, so yeah. right, I'll meet him and then we'll work it out. And she said, but by the time you've worked out what to do, there'll be no time to do it. <laughs> I said, how long do you think it's going to take me to work out what the problem is? And she said, I don't know, for 40 minutes, maybe you have a conversation with him. I said, it'll take me eight seconds. Right, <laughs> and eight, so by the time he's walked in the door I've shaken his hand, he's sat down I'll tell you what the problem is and that will tell me, well I say the problem it will tell me how comfortable he is in his own skin it'll tell me what his ego's like uh, whether he needs to be liked or not Um, whether he has any emotional intelligence, whether he's aware of the other person or whether it's all about him, all these things, that will tell me a huge amount of how that person under pressure will come across.
0: And then you have to adapt your your coaching to suit the the person. Some people need to be built up, their confidence is the problem, some people need to be taken down a peg or two, and, and, you know, there's different techniques for different
1: individuals, would you say? They do, of course, but all teaching is like that. But ultimately, I mean, my father was a headmaster, and and, and he said, you know, if you want to... uh, teach children to be better you have to constantly tell them that they're good at the things they're good at and then tell them the things that they can improve on Mm. Um, and I think that there are there are media trainers who I've come across who it's a very easy thing to do which is to film somebody in the morning uh, with unprepared questions and get feeling, get them feeling very uh, discombobulated or, or pulling pulling them off centre. Yeah. And then and then they watch it back and they think this is terrible. You coach them at the end of the day. You film them having prepped them and then you say, look how different you are. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and it's a bit of a cheap trick that. <laughs> so I never do that. And I just think that ultimately you want people to feel uh, confident in their, uh, confident in their in their subject matter and comfortable in their own skin.
0: Yeah. And when you're. Advising a CEO or someone very senior to how to approach a speech. Say they've got a speech in a month's time. Is there a sort of set process that people
1: should should go, go through to, to get to something which is which is good? Um, it depends how much time you've got. There are, there are two sides to these things always. There's, there's the structure, and then there's the, 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 you know, what you say and how you, and, and then there's the delivery and how you say it. If you're shortening it in time, I would say first of all get the structure right. And the structure is often, um, and I've heard you talk about this before, it's about having one main point. It's, you know, people talk about three things as if somehow this Aristotelian three things is the goal we should all go for. <laughs> to be honest, in today's world, people can, can remember one thing yeah. and actually have it's one. The rule o- of one, not one, the rule of three. I think yeah, so. Yeah. I think it's the one overall emotion. <laughs> and so I'll give you an example. A, a client said to me at the end of a session um, recently, he said, look, I've, we've got ten minutes left, Robin, can you help me on a personal matter? And I mm. said, of course I can, I'm here. You know? I hate it when they say that. And he said, I thought he was going to ask me to record his answer phone machine. But <laughs> he, didn't. He, he said, look, I've got to speak at a funeral, and can you advise me as some of the, the traps and how, and how I could do this? And I said, OK, it's very simple. Tell me about your friend who's passed. And he said, he took a moment, he got a little bit teary, and he said, well, he said, my friend is called Peter. And uh, he said, I think he is. He said, no, he is probably the kindest man i've ever met in my life mm. i said you've written your speech then that is yeah. your speech yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that is your speech <laughs> so he told me he stood up on the day and he said you know peter is the kindest man i've ever met in my life let me tell you why and he have a couple of anecdotes about it and at the end he repeated the headlines what i call the headline sandwich you come right back to the end at the end and he said so when we think about peter let's think about a very kind man
0: yeah and that's, and he a, good, down. that's a good technique that i that i you know, learnt in your in your book, and 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 I've actually sort of started to talk about myself with with a couple of CEOs. If you're going to stand up at the beginning and maybe make a bold statement about mm. something, and then the bit in the middle is kind of you know all the different ingredients of how you're going to get there, or the stories yeah. you tell to support it, and then at the end it's kind of and that's how we become the best strategy team in the world, exactly. or whatever it is you've laid exactly. out at the beginning. And, and I
1: think it's very it's very. People often say, "Well, you're being very simplistic with just one." And it's not about having a simple message; it's about having a really clear message. So, the other thing that I think is important also is to add in an emotion into the opening. So, are you saying to people, "This is good news," "It's bad news," "It's challenging news," "It's difficult news"? If, you know, if you're talking internally to your team, you know, people need to know where are they going. You know, they're, they're not actually. I mean, for example, in the supermarket scenario I, I worked with the board uh, in fact I saw the board before I worked with them and they started off on the conference that I watched that I hadn't worked with them on and one guy came out the CFO came out and he said uh, so I'm going to hand over to um, Dave who's head of sales and uh, <laughs> he won't be wearing his motorbike helmet today <laughs> and I said to him afterwards, why did you say that mm-hmm. he said well, he's always wears his motorbike helmet, we all know that. I said, you all know that on the board, Mm. but now everyone, the 2,500 people in the audience, feel even more alienated. So you're doing it because you think it's going to somehow make you feel friendly and approachable, but actually there's this private club now that that we're not part of. So actually, I think we've got to be very careful on board not to have too many inter-personalized. communication that, that only the board know about and that the rest of us then feel alienated. It. It's not helpful.
0: Yeah. And, and
1: never assume
0: too much knowledge, but, but d- don't assume stupidity either. I mean, It's there's, just there's getting a, the level right
1: for the audience. There's a wonderful phrase that I, I nicked from Boris Johnson, actually, which I have to say I use a lot. And the phrase is, as you know. Right. And then you tell them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> because the reason, it, the reason it works is that it works on both levels. So, for example, if I was talking to people about voice mm-hmm. as part of a, a talk... And I had a mixed audience, and I said to them, um, the voice is produced using these muscles. The people in the audience who do know sit there thinking, well, I know that, stop being condescending. Mm. And the people who don't know go, oh, that's interesting. But if I preface the same thing and just say, as you know, the voice is produced with these muscles, the ones who do know sit there thinking, well, I'm pleased he knew that I know. And the others who don't know think, thank God he told me. So it (laughs) works both ways. Let's talk about voice. Is it...
0: it Voice is, is very important for leaders, CEO, we judge people on, on, their, on their voices. Um, can you change your voice? Can you do much about it? Can you develop it, particularly if you're a, a busy business executive and you don't really have time for hours or weeks
1: of voice coaching? It, it's interesting because when, when we, uh, we were at drama school and we did three years at drama school, we would do probably an hour of voice every morning for three years. And so that's developing a voice properly to be heard in a theatre without microphones. CEOs and and business leaders don't have to do that. So you're going to speak in a normal-sized room or you're going to have a microphone. That's the way it is these days. So you don't actually need a huge amount of volume. What you need is clarity, but also you need the voice to be uh, emotionally centred. In other words, the voice has to sound authentic. And I used to go and hear a lot of speakers uh, at a a, uh, company I worked for, and they, they brought over a lot of international, political speakers particularly, And they would come out, all the events were in the evening, and they would inevitably start with the two words, good evening. And from the two words, good evening, I knew whether it was going to be any good or not. (laughs) And they'd come out and they'd say, good evening, and I'd think, oh, why did I bother to turn up? I knew this is going to be terrible, and I was always right. Or they'd say, good evening, and I'd go, oh, this is going to be interesting. So the difference between good evening and good evening Mm. is subtle, But one is emotionally connected and one isn't. Mm. One is on their throat. So what happens basically when people get nervous is their centre of gravity rises and they tend to speak more in the upper chest than on the throat. And if you speak on your throat, you have a sound that is like a teacher. So it's that, uh, you know, who threw that, see me after class, detention. It's that type of projected, transmission-y voice. Mm. But if it's from your gut, then the voice sounds more emotionally connected. Because your emotional centre is below the belly button in the gut, so we have to align the voice to that. Business leaders, as you alluded earlier, don't have time for hundreds of exercises, so I give them two or three very simple exercises that help very quickly to realign the breath and the voice. And it's not about place. having a deeper
0: voice, because that's what we've it heard. will
1: give you. A, it, will, right. it will give you a deeper voice, but it's not about having a deeper voice. Now, can the I worst that thing phone? that people do is when they try to. Deep the a lot of teenagers do this oh, so maybe men, men in there particularly men in maybe early 20s just left university and uh, they try and sort of force the voice down like that and it's a yeah. slightly irritating sort of sound <laughs> and it's not a natural sound at all and it's forced down but when you naturally have the voice uh, emotionally connected it is lower but it's not lower because you're forcing it it's lower because it's the sound you have when you wake up in the morning which is the most authentic sound you have and gradually during the day everything tightens up through life um, so we have to find a way of reconnecting with that natural sound. Yeah. Uh, one thing I,
0: I find is that is that once you find out what people care about, what they believe in, then the performance naturally becomes better. I mean, mm-hmm. is that is that your experience? Because that seems to me the the, the the most important thing is just is to find out what makes this person tick, what, what what gets them fired up, what are they really passionate about, yeah, and then they can go on stage yeah. and actually be quite convincing.
1: Well, it, it is their it's their passion, but it's it's also their belief and their trust in what they're saying so a sales team once said to me um okay robin you want us to be authentic and i said yeah you want us to be believable and i said yeah what do we do if we know our product doesn't work i said (laughs) okay there's an interesting moral dilemma well it's an interesting moral dilemma there because really you have two choices if for example you're selling tables and you know that the legs break after six months but that the top of the table is completely unscratchable you can sell the bits that you believe in, which is the top is, is the best top in the country. It's completely unscratchable. It's absolutely fabulous. Mm. You just don't happen to mention the legs fall off. <laughs> right. Now, that's one option. Mm. The other option is to change your job. But, yeah. I mean, those there's the two you have. Um, there are some people who, who will sell... Uh, the, the type of people who are very confident doing the double glazing, knocking mm. on doors and stuff, the sort of people who... You slam the door in their face. You go, go away. And they go, yes, anyway. So we're still in the air. And they go, no, go away. Seriously, I'm putting the door in your face. They go, oh, I know. Yeah. So we're in the air. And they have like such a thick skin. But I'm not talking about salesmen like that. I'm talking about if you want to come across as a genuine salesperson, you kind of have to believe in what you're selling. Yeah.
0: And have a bit of energy and enthusiasm? I mean, those are good qualities, right, in a public speaker? Just to be energised?
1: I, I Yes, I, I say to people, normally it's about 10% more than you would normally have. Okay. If you do more than that, you turn into a DJ. Yeah. And, and a lot of... Um, senior leaders I've seen run conferences where one of them, I was working with one last week actually, and they said, uh, so I'm going to MC this conference, and, and they go, well, you know, John, he's, he's a pretty good MC and I said, oh, great, can you give me a, he said I've got my script, I said, okay, let's go through your script do your script, and it was so cheesy, and so um, it was like a oh, you've, got, you've got everything running through Leicester Square at the wow. it's fantastic, <laughs> I know it's all, it's, it's, <laughs> we are live here in the West End um, so you get they get this, this cheesy um, and they slightly put on this uh, sub-Anton Deck uh, type um, comic tone, you know, the slightly smashy and nicey you yeah, know? Yeah. so we get, to, and so welcome to the conference this morning and uh, I don't know why they say, you know, stop, just talk normally talk normally <laughs> <laughs> funny enough, I once, years ago um, did a, a, a pro-celeb tennis tournament and they had some actors and I was doing a, a sitcom at the time, some actors and some Radio 2 DJs, so all the famous DJs that I grew up with in the, in the 70s and 80s 90s and and what was interesting is that the DJs couldn't stop talking in the DJ voice because it had become so part of them. So over tea, people were saying, and well played, by the way, good <laughs> shot on the front. I know, I know, thank you very much. And do you play much tennis? Well, I do. And uh, do you take sugar? I take three. And, and they couldn't stop it. And it was quite interesting. I was getting, no, stop it. Just talk normally. Yeah, I think, I think um,
0: BBC correspondents suffer from a bit of that as well. Everyone trying to imitate what a co- they think a correspondent should sound like delivering the news. Well, I think, the I think particularly the rhythms, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's, the,
1: it's the rhythms they fall into. Uh, and, um, and I think the reason that people like Farage and Trump, in a way, the reason that they're so successful with their particular demographic that they're trying to reach, I mean, they don't care about the rest of us, they don't care just about the people they're talking to, is that they sound natural, they do sound like... The water cooler conversation. Mm, That's mm. you know. So, I think that a lot of politicians could learn a lot from that naturalness. Yeah. But the trouble is that, if, as you well know, uh, you know, as a BBC correspondent, is that the polit- politicians are so guarded because everybody's constantly trying to trick them out. Mm. So that, you know, if you're if you're chancellor of the exchequer, you know somebody's going to ask you an O level maths question that you don't know the <laughs> answer to, and you're going to look stupid. So you're constantly on your guard, and I, and I think the higher up the chain you get, once you get to prime minister level. You're, you're so guarded with what you say that therefore people say, well, they don't say anything. Mm. And, of course, it's a vicious cycle because um, if they do, they get hung, and if they don't, they get hung. Yeah. Um, let's talk
0: about body language. Mm. That's quite, quite, an, quite an interesting subject. And when you go to conferences, I mean, some people don't know what to do with their hands. Some people just stick behind the podium and sort of grasp onto it quite rigidly. Some people pace up and down the stage and mm. gesticulate. Kind of wild. I mean, are there, are there any? Is it a personal thing about what feels comfortable to you, or are there any rules of body language which everyone <laughs> who is delivering a keynote well, there, there should there observe? Is, there, <laughs> is
1: one, there is one rule, but which I'll come to in a second. But it does depend largely on what the situation is. So there are some lectures that where this, the script of the lecture will be published, and therefore that requires you to stick to script, and therefore those are almost like spoken essays. Um, you know the annual lecture on such and such. You know, those ones tend to be behind a lectern, and in a way, that's correct probably, um, unless unless they're able, like an actor, to learn an hour of dialogue, which they're probably not, but but and make it sound natural. I think actors are very good at learning things, recreating the same emotion every night. You know, in a long run, in, in the West End, um, and they they in a sense they are being authentic because they're they're connecting with the emotion, but they're slightly reconnecting with it every night and non-actors find that very difficult um, so they can tend to do a speech once but if they do a speech three or four times they, they, they get hung up on various issues around that um, I personally like people not to be behind the lectern if possible I, but that involves standing there exposed uh, being comfortable in your own skin so people feel quite exposed when they stand there with nothing to do um, I, they often stand there holding a plastic water bottle like it's like a dummy it's like something with their hands to hold on to they never open the bottle right (laughs) and it's just incredibly distracting Mm. and also I I I sit there thinking we're all sitting in the audience we don't have water but you have water so you're sort of somehow better than us this doesn't work so (laughs) I I think I've never thought that but yeah yeah no I find I I, I think I'm a very I I think well it does bug me because I think one of the big things about how you connect with an audience is that you have to have equal status with the audience you're talking to and um Yes, you're on a platform and they're listening to you, but it has to feel like a conversation. Um, so whatever we can do in the first few sentences to make it sound natural in terms of the language we use, um, we sound more normal and therefore on the same level as that. Yeah. And
0: um, PowerPoint, the dreaded subject. Um, a slides always the enemy of a good talk? No. When should they be used and when, when shouldn't they be? <laughs> is, again, is that a question for each and every person to make it? Actually, no, we, you've got, we've got to advise on this, haven't we? We've got to say to business leaders, I'm sorry, a, a
1: talk is not a set of PowerPoint slides. A talk is you. It, ultimately, yes. I, I, I personally never use slides, um, and I talk for anywhere between half an hour and two hours. Um, I, if you're good enough and you can hold an audience and you're clear enough in what you're saying... And you're, log- and you're logical enough in terms of the changes of sections, then I think you can hold an audience. It's, n- it's not a problem. But the difficulty that business people have is they don't always have time to prepare that particular speech. So therefore they're not as fluent with it as, as, as actors are, or as people who do TED Talks, where they tend to do a lot of the same type of talk. Mm. So they can pick, you know, take huge sections of one talk and use it again and maybe mix and match a bit. They can't do that. So they need the PowerPoint to hold them on track sometimes. I mean, images are great, as we know. I think one of the biggest issues is is, is signposting too much. I mean, I, I watch the news, and the newscaster will say something like, you know, inflation is, hopefully inflation is down um, it's down 1%. And the screen, half the screen is filled with a 1% and a percent, the entire screen. And I'm thinking, I'm not stupid, I can hear 1%. I don't need it reinforced. <laughs> but, of course, the news is doing several things. A lot of lot of news is on silently in offices and things, and actually you want to see down 1% because you're not necessarily hearing the audio. Yeah. So it is trying to do several different things. But I think in a, within PowerPoint the biggest problem, of course, is having too many words because they can't read the words on the slide and listen to you at the same time. So if I'm teaching people to use PowerPoint, I say you have to tell them when to look at the screen and when not to. And Basically, they will look at the screen when you do. So if you look at the screen almost like saying okay so if we can all look at the screen if we all look at the second point here and we all now look at the screen and then if you slightly move away from the screen and then you explain what the second point is mm. you've pulled them away from the screen again so in other words you have to control them rather like one of those great magicians uh, like Darren brown or one of these these people like this who can control an audience is is you, you always tell the audience where to look so magicians for example it's all misdirection so they'll do a trick They'll dis- disguise. They'll distract you over here somewhere, and then they'll look back and think, "Oh my god, how did that happen?" Because well, it's already happened. Uh, tricks have already happened, but they, they distract you with something else, and they never they never let your focus go elsewhere. So a good speaker will always have the audience looking at them, and then tell them when to look at a PowerPoint.
0: Good advice. And and my final question is is about um, how how much people can improve really and how much of this is natural talent i mean c- could you take <laughs> can oh, you <laughs> teach
1: charisma <laughs> can you teach charisma is the, is the question and, and could,
0: can i take a one out of ten performer and make them a 10 out of 10 or or am i really looking to take a, a four out of 10 and, and make them into a five
1: or a six as my as my ambition uh to be honest i would say the latter i mean there are some people have that x factor they just have that they're born with it uh, there are some some comedians who have it and some politicians who have it and some CEOs who have it, they just have an extra thing I have a couple of friends who are not famous but they walk into a room and everyone turns to look they just have that thing and a CEO said to me the other day, he said Robin, you've worked with my team, can I have a, a private session with you? and I said, yeah, He said, but I'm a bit embarrassed to ask for something and I said, what is it you want? he said, I want to be able to walk into a room and I want people to go, wow, who's that? I said, yeah, you can have that he said "How long?" I said 2 half day sessions, I can teach you how to do that." I said, "But you have to be able to do that without looking like a cock, right without looking sort of over arrogant. So there's a way of having being, being very centered. So basically what it is you're teaching somebody to be physically centered and emotionally centered. And uh, if, I, if I finish with one very quick piece of advice which I would give to anyone who's, who's nervous or if you want to look more centered, if you walk to the center of a stage and you either clench. Very, not with your hands but you clench the buttock muscles or the thigh muscles you lock those two big muscle groups one or the other or both lock them down you lower your center of gravity you tend not to move around so much it's impossible to shake your voice gets more centered and you look more centered so it's a very simple technique but actually if you're standing at a networking event you're talking to somebody very important just stand there literally just lock your thighs together tighten your thighs and you will find your voice will drop and you will feel more centered I will clench my buttocks as often as I can in, in professional situations. Um, Robin, you can enjoy
0: it if you want to. Robin Kermode, thank you so much for being on the podcast and, and, and sharing so many of your of your, your tips and, and pieces of advice. It's been a, been a great conversation. I hope we catch up again sometime in the future. I hope so, Mike. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.